Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. This book of Deuteronomy has also been called a book of remembrance, and we'll look at that in just a minute why that is. But let's look at the name. First off, you know, when you think of Deuteronomy, it's often been said that this, this book means the second law, and it's really not a second law, even though that's what the word in the, uh, in the Greek means. It's Deuter- Deuteronomian, and it literally means second law. But actually, this title actually means the words, these are the words, or the words in Hebrew. The title of this book is literally the words. It could also mean the, the, uh, the copy. It's a copy of something else. It's a copy of what we've read in Genesis or Leviticus and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, but not quite a copy. It summarizes, if you will, those things. It doesn't give it in its long form. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Truth in Christ. Today, Pastor Rob begins our study in the book of Deuteronomy, which is also known as the book of remembrance. God wanted the nation of Israel and us to remember the writings from the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, so he summarized them again in Deuteronomy. During the time of Jesus' temptation in the desert, the Lord used Scripture from Deuteronomy to silence Satan. We also, today, should familiarize ourselves with these books and all the Bible and use God's Word to tackle our battles. Here's Pastor Rob with today's teaching. This specific book, in his temptation, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, because... This is significant because it gives us the weight of the book. If the Son of God, the, the, the Lord himself, used this book and used verses from this book to combat the enemy, how much more should we? Amen? But I wonder how often we do. You know, we can say all the right words, but do we really use it? You know, I, I, I was often, I've often thought about this. You know, when you're going through temptation... Do you quote scripture to the devil? <laughs> when you're going through different things, do you just kind of think that everything's going to be okay and somehow it'll, it'll subside? You know, why don't you try doing what Jesus did and see how quickly things change for your, your circumstance? Because if you're like me, I don't always do that. I don't always run to the Lord, and I, I don't always find the scripture and use it at the moment of temptation. Whatever it may be, it could be a sorrow, it could be a heartache, it could be whatever. But get into, the, get into the holy habit of not just doing what we can do sometimes, and that's just, you know, we, we, we don't really quote any scripture. Quote it out loud, <laughs> or at least in your own heart. And you know what? There's nothing that scares the devil more than when a child of God is resting on the word of God. Because that is the thing. The Bible says that it is a double-edged sword, able to pierce even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the bone and marrow. It's that clinical, it's that sharp, it's that precision, precision-guided word, <laughs> right? That's what it is. And so use it often 
when you're going through temptations. But in Genesis, or I'm sorry, in uh, Matthew chapter 4, let's just read it. It says, and we're just going to read the first 11 verses because, again, as we get into this book, we have to look at what Jesus thought of this book. And here's the thing that encourages my heart when it comes to the Bible. Whenever there is a book that the scholars and the academics, the haters of God, the atheists, whoever they may be, when there is a book that they attack vehemently, like the book of Daniel, like the book of Genesis, like the book of Revelation, they attack it. And when Jesus quotes from those books, you know, especially like Daniel and, and Jonah and others, he's actually putting his stamp of approval on it, isn't he? And if you believe in Jesus and you're born again, that's a real simple thing. I can just take that to the bank in a sense and I say, you know what? I don't have to worry about how smart anybody is because I'm not that smart. But I know that Jesus is the creator of that guy with the beanie in the, in the office with his computer, okay? He is the creator of that man, of any genius that's on this planet. He is the creator of it all, and he is so much more smart and so much more holy and so much more loving and so much more gracious, so much more patient, so much more intellectually superior than any being combined. Combine all of, if everyone on the earth were an Einstein, they would be nothing compared to God, nothing compared to him. Let your heart get raptured with that thought of just his greatness, of his great power. And that will encourage you. I trust, trust me, it will. But here in Matthew chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you often wonder, why did the, the Son of God have to be tempted? You know, I believe that it's because he had to endure the, the, the things that we are going to be tempted with, right? The Bible says that he was in all points tempted as we were and are, except without sin. He was without sin. And so he, as a representative of us, as our high priest, he was very much aware of what we are going through. And that's the God we serve. We don't serve some distant, faraway being who is out of touch. He knows very well what we're going through. So Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, folks, anybody fasted for three days before? The most I've fasted was about three or four days. After the third day, it gets a little easier. But until that third day, man, you are like freaking out. Your body's freaking out. And then there comes a calmness. And then it's kind of cool. And then you're just kind of floating through until about the fifth or sixth day, seventh day. And then it starts to kick up again. It's just your natural instincts. But anyway, so he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterward, he was hungry naturally. So when the tempter, Satan, came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is the, the southeast corner of the temple, we believe, highest point, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and here the devil gets smart, and he starts quoting Scripture back. It's almost like a chess match. <laughs> But guess who knows the end game? <laughs> of course, Jesus does. He says, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And then Jesus, in verse 7, said, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Here, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. And again, the devil takes him up. And it's almost like each one of these things is tempting Jesus on a different level, on a different plane, on a different, um, different level. 
And each time he responds with the word of God. And that's what we need to do because it usually, see, I don't know that any one of us, I don't know that I've ever been tempted by the devil himself. All right? There may be demons that can tempt us, but to be tempted by the devil himself is a whole different matter. We're talking about a being who is, was once called Lucifer, the light bearer, the archangel, very powerful. He's no match for God in any way. He's a created being, the Bible tells us. But he's very powerful, much more powerful than you or I are. We are nothing in his, in his estimation. But guess what? Greater is he that is in you and me than he that is in the world. So Jesus in us is greater than he. But Jesus always came back with the word of God. And usually you and I fail at the very first attempt. But when it didn't work, the devil came back again and again. Watch what happens. So it is written, so again the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain. It could have been the highest mountain, I think, is Mount Hermon in that area, I believe. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Somehow, it's super, you know, supernaturally, the devil was able to do this. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And so here the devil is claiming he has a right over this stuff. And for a season he does. For a season he does, but he, his, uh, his rent is due and he's been behind, and so he's going to be evicted shortly. Then Jesus, verse 10, said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And here again he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. But then notice what happens. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now this was at a time when he was the, weak, the weakest physically. 40 days and 40 nights. Do you, do you know what happens to a person? I've known and heard of people going for, you know, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights under a doctor's supervision. They still have water and all that stuff. I don't, there's no mention of anything like that with, G, with Jesus. He didn't have any medical supervision, but I've known of people like that. And they get to where their body starts eating away at them, and they are at their weakest. At 40 days, you are like, all your clothes don't fit anymore. It's serious, <laughs> Right? And at his weakest point, he gets hammered by not only just a demon, but the devil himself. And each time comes back with the word of God, the word of God. How important is the word of God when you're at your weakest? I would say it's very important. If Jesus used this book, Deuteronomy, that we're getting into, what, how important is it for us to not only know it, but to also combat those things in our life as we come across them? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, we don't have a high, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was the perfect God-man. And so Jesus, as our high priest, he understands what it means to be tempted. So we can never go to him and say, Lord, you've never experienced this temptation. He's experienced it all. And I would say that he even experienced it to the uttermost and to the fullest because, again, I don't know that any of us have been uh, uh, by the devil himself. You understand that there's a demon, Satan, and then there's his minions, right? The fallen angels. They're demons. Those demons can mess with you. They can't possess you if you're a child of God. They, all they can do is mess with your head. All they can do is, 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 is make you confused and, 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 and get you to sin. And, of course, even when you do sin, we fall on our face and we confess, Right? We turn from that sin. We still have the victory because of the blood of Christ, right? But we are no match for the devil except God in us. So we have to approach that healthily. <laughs> but greater is he. 
This book of Deuteronomy has also been called a book of remembrance, and we'll look at that in just a minute why that is. But let's look at the name. First off, you know, when you think of Deuteronomy, it's often been said that this, this book means the second law, and it's really not a second law, even though that's what the word in the, uh, in the Greek means. It's Deuter- Deuteronomian, and it literally means second law. But actually, this title actually means the words, these are the words, or the words in Hebrew. The title of this book is literally the words. It could also mean the, the, uh, the copy. It's a copy of something else. It's a copy of what we've read in Genesis or Leviticus and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, but not quite a copy. It summarizes, if you will, those things. It doesn't give it in its long form, and we're going to talk about why that, what, what that is. So really, it's a second telling of what has already been shared, right? And so why is it that we need to, what is the purpose of this book, actually? It's to show forth those things that God has already given to the Israelites and this new generation. If you remember, in the desert, when they were wandering around for those 40 years, they were testing God. They were putting him to the test. They were disobedient. There were schisms and problems always arising. And God had had enough with them. In fact, at one point he said, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out and start with you, and we'll start a new generation of people. And Moses intercedes and God knew this all along, and God was just using that circumstance to, to show Moses how his heart had changed. He was no longer this, you know, he, he was truly a shepherd. He was truly uh, an intercessor, an intermediate, a mediator. See, God knew that all along, but Moses didn't. So I, I, can, I just see the smile on God's face as Moses is telling, you know, God, you know, don't do this, Lord. Don't wipe them out. You know, if you're going to wipe them out, then blot my name out of the book as well. And I can almost just see the Lord smiling and saying, you know what? That's exactly what I knew you'd say. Proud of you, Moses. Well done. You've got the same heart that I have. You're getting there. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a growth. So that's good. So as that generation was going through the wilderness, though, that first generation that came out of Egypt, they, they, they vexed the Lord really sore. And they tested his patience. And he waited until every single one of them had passed away in the desert. And there were only two men who were able to go into the promised land, them and their, the leaders and the, the generation that grew up out in the wilderness, those young people that didn't come out of Egypt, but they were born out in the wilderness. They were the ones, along with Joshua and, and um, um, Caleb, I'm sorry, they both were able to go in. And so this is Moses right on the, on the, on the, on the cusp of going into the promised land. They've, they've made their journey, and we're going to get to that. But why the repetition? Why a second telling of this law? Well, there's a gentleman by the name of George Santayana. He's a philosopher. He said, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And the Lord has a perfect memory, doesn't he? He knows exactly what has happened in the past, and he wants to prepare. That's his heart, is to prepare. He always wants to take you from a place that he's delivered you from, and he wants to take you into a place that you've never been before, and that's closer to him. And that's exactly what he was doing. But before these new, this new generation being led by Joshua and Caleb, before they were going to enter into the promised land, they had to hear this again. They needed to hear it again. Perhaps they heard it from their parents, but now they need to hear it again. And the Lord repeats himself, not because he forgets something, but because we need to be reminded, and we also need to be accountable. God is very good at making us accountable to his word and to him. 
And accountability is a wonderful thing. If you're a person who doesn't like accountability, God will never use you to lead anything. But if you are, allow yourself to be accountable and put yourself under someone, you're going to learn very quickly what, what, what accountability is and what leadership is and what it isn't. Leadership is not the despot over in the Middle East who kills anybody who is close to him that dares rise up against him. That is not a leader. That's, 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 a, that's a despot. A real leader can have people around him that, that he knows have skills and abilities that he doesn't have. They are his hands and his feet, and when he treats them as such, they are willing to lay down their life for him. Isn't that what Jesus, his, his disciples, they, they were like that. What about David's mighty men? Those men were broke and everything else, and they were willing to lay their life down for David because David was a true leader and at the outward look of him, he wouldn't think that he would be a leader, but inside, because we can never look at a book by its cover, right? The Bible says to never judge a man by his outward appearance because God looks on the heart, and he can see what's inside the heart that nobody else can see. So it does. It makes us accountable. And throughout the Scripture, you know, uh, in Ecclesiastes, God has to tell us to, to listen, to hear, to listen. In Ecclesiastes, we had this uh, verse this last Sunday, chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Do not be rash with your mouth, and let, your heart, let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So, in other words, let my words be few, but be listening a lot more. That's why it says in James, So then, my beloved, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Slow to wrath. We listen twice as much as we hear. And sometimes I have to hear things over and over and over again before I finally submit to them, before I finally obey the Lord. It's like that with kids too, isn't it? For those of you who have children, you tell your kids over and over again, pick up your room, do this, do that. And it's the same thing over and over again. And what a joy it is for a parent to see a child somewhere along the line, they really get it and they finally say, you know what, I'm going to do it. And you don't have to ask them. That's a really good time. That's a really good thing when that happens. In Romans chapter 10, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And this hearing that God wants them to hear this again, this, this, he wants to retell the, the events of, of the Exodus and, and, and Numbers. He wants to retell those things, to prepare them. Do you remember when this happened, and what was the result of that, and what did you learn? Well, this is what God wanted you to learn, and do you remember what happened? Do you remember the the, the horrible consequence that came about? God doesn't want you to go through that horrible consequence, but you have to obey the first time. And so he's teaching them obedience, and he's showing them from their ancestors, this is what not to do. Your forefathers did this, and this is what happened. And it's always good for us to be aware of these things. Again, I love that verse. If we, uh, where is it? Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It's so true. And the key verses in this whole book of Deuteronomy are these. It's in chapter 6. This is in verse 1. It says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. And again, remember, he's speaking to a new generation that's been born out in the, in the, in the wilderness as they were wandering around. They're getting ready to go into the promised land. Everyone else has died off. As God had told them, they are going to die off. And he's going to wait until they do. And when they're ready, he's going to 
now they're right at the edge of the promised land. They're about ready to cross the, 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 the Jordan River into Jericho and to go after Jericho. And they're there. And Moses is telling them, rehearsing for them again these things. He said, these are the, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God and to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Notice that. Obedience prolongs life. Disobedience shortens life. Later on, he would say, I put before you death and life. And he says, choose life. Choose life. You choose life, you choose obedience. But verse 3 is the, is the capstone Really, he says, therefore, hear, O Israel. That word here is the word Shema in the uh, Hebrew. It's the word or Shema Israel, the, the, the Shema temple here locally in Brighton. That's, it's named after this word, hear. It means to hear with the intention of doing something. Not just to hear it and let it go in one ear, not the other, but to hear with the intent of doing something about it. So he says, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here it is, verse 4 again. Hear, O Israel, Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's why the Jews today have that little mezuzah. You ever seen one of those? It's a little box about that big, and it's a little thin thing, and they, some the Jews will tap it up on their, on their doorposts, and they'll put this verse that we just read, they'll stick it in there, and it's a reminder it's a reminder. And see, the reminder is so that none of us will forget because no one will be able to stand before the Lord on Judgment Day and say, Lord, I didn't know. You didn't tell me. The Lord's going to say, I, I told you. I told you several times. You know? And what a shame that we can't learn, that we don't listen. Isn't it? It's a shame. I want to be more obedient as a child of God. I want to hear the first time and do. And, you know, as a Christian, I'm becoming more desiring that. Even when it's against my will, something I don't want to do, and I know it's the Lord's will to do it, and I'm fighting against it, and you just you push through it anyway, and you be obedient, and the results are remarkable. Your flesh may not like it, but God is in charge of the results. And you may not understand why. But later on, you might. There's been times in my life where I've, you know, done certain things, and the Lord has encouraged me to, to walk up to a total stranger and, and, uh, and just say, you know what? Jesus just wanted me to tell you that he loves you. And that's all I'm supposed to say. And you know how hard that was to tell a cashier at Wegmans? I remember one time my daughter and I were in, in Wegmans, and this is when she was a little girl, and we had her in the, you know, we did this Friday uh, shopping trip. And I was talking to Ari about this, and, and uh, there was an African-American woman at the cashier, and I'll never forget this. And Ariana had heard me say that to some tellers, you know, as she was a little girl, just a little baby. And she would hear me say that to the tellers, you know, Jesus loves you, you know. 
And uh, as you go throughout your day, just remember that Jesus loves you, you know. She'd hear me say that, so one day she had the chutzpah. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio or sanctuary messages in MP3 format, free of charge, from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until this same time tomorrow, This has been Truth in Christ.